Church, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open back up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Mark is towards the back of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Uh, Mark chapter 8. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is smack dab in the middle of the book of Mark. Uh, we have been saying for the past couple weeks, Mark chapter 8 is the center of Mark. It's the center of Scripture. It's the center of the universe. It's the, scripture, the center of your life. The center of my life. And that's true for us for eternity. Mark chapter 8 is about who Jesus is and how we follow Jesus. There's nothing more important than what we find in Mark chapter 8. So have your Bibles with you. Big number 8, and in a moment we'll be on little number 31. Something we talk about often around here is making faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, we believe that that is every church's mission. That is our mission to make faithful followers of Jesus by proclaiming the good news, by loving each other and loving them. Making faithful followers of Jesus. And sometimes people ask, why do you throw the word faithful in there? What does that have to add when we talk about followers of Jesus? Why do we add that? Why do we add that? Well, the truth is, and this is true, it's what we see, it's what we experience. We've talked to people who have been like this, and we see this in Scripture. The truth is, we can be near Jesus and not know Jesus. The truth is, we can be near His Word and not know Jesus. We can be near His people. We can be in His church. We can be sitting in a pew listening to the Gospel proclaimed and yet not know Jesus. We can be physically near Jesus, physically near His people, physically near His Word, and yet be without saving faith because we don't know Him. Because we don't know Him. And what we've seen the last few weeks, and what we've seen, what we're going to see today, is you can follow Jesus. You can walk behind Him. You can be near Him. And not truly know who He is. We don't want to just be following Jesus. We want to be faithful followers of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about what that looks like. What, is, what does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus? Before we read God's Word, would you bow with me for another word of prayer, please? Father God, it's an easy trap to fall into. The trap of thinking that I'm, I'm around God's people. That I might know the stories about Jesus. I might even know some verses of Scripture. It's an easy trap to fall into to think that those things are what saves us. But Father, we know that, that those things alone are not what saves us. We are saved by knowing Jesus Christ by grace through faith in Him. So Father, for our church, we don't, we don't just want to make attenders. We, just don't, we don't want a lot of people coming to it. We don't want, just want a lot of people coming to our church. Father, we want to see people faithfully following Jesus, knowing Him, being transformed by Him, glorifying Him with their lives. Father, we ask that You make this happen. And Father, as we open Your Word and we talk about this, we pray that, uh, that You transform through Your Word, that You perform surgery on our hearts, and that we can hear You clearly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
What does it look like to be a faithful follower of Jesus? What is faithful following? Let's read together. We're going to see somebody who's not faithful following, and then we're going to hear what Jesus says it means to follow Him. So, big number eight. This is the book of Mark. Big number eight, little number 31 to little number 38. goes like this. Read it with me as I read aloud, please. He began to teach them that the Son of Man, the Messiah, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And He said this plainly. And Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. But turning and seeing His disciples, He, Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind Me, Satan! For you are not setting your minds on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for My sake and the Gospels will save it. For, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of Me and of My words in this adulterous and sinful generation of Him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Okay, we've been resting on this passage, taking it bits and pieces at a time, and finally we get the whole, we get the whole picture. Jesus has at the beginning, you, you remember this, He, he feeds 4,000 people just out of His will. He makes bread come out just because He wants it to. And He feeds 4,000 people. And you got to think that everyone's watching this saying, Jesus is the Man. He's the man we've been waiting for. He's the prophesied Messiah who's going to bring about the kingdom of God. That's what's going through the minds of the disciples. That's what's going through the minds of the crowd. The kingdom of God is here. It's through Jesus. And Jesus is going to come and He's going to be Rambo Messiah. But Jesus comes and He teaches something very different. He teaches the disciples some of the most important things about Himself that blows their mind. The, the disciples and the crowd in Israel are expecting the religious leaders to give their seal of approval for Jesus. The religious big shots are supposed to be the guys to come test Jesus and say, yep, that's the guy. Instead of that happening, Jesus teaches the disciples that He will be rejected by the religious leaders. The disciples in, in Israel are expecting Jesus to come, the Messiah to come and be Rambo Messiah and to come kick the Romans out, to kill a bunch of them, to expel them from the land. Instead, Jesus says that the Messiah is going to come and He has come to die. And not just die, die like a heretic and a murderer and a thief on a cross. And not just die on a cross, but die to pay the penalty for the sins of His people. And they expect this Messiah to come live a long life, usher them into the golden age of wealth and prosperity. But no, this man will die. And in three days, He will rise 
again. What? That is not what we signed up for. The disciples' reactions filtered through Peter. Peter's their leader. Peter's the guy who opens his mouth first and thinks about it later. So Peter, taking all the angst and rage the disciples have after hearing Jesus speak plainly about His mission, he goes, Jesus, get over here. I rebuke you for that. What are you saying? Jesus, don't you know these guys have given you years of their lives? They've left their families behind. They've been saying that you're the guy and now you're going to say that you're going to go be rejected and die and rise again? This is a deep down spiritual, ethical rebuke. It's angry. The word there, rebuke, you'll remember, we talked about last week, the word there, rebuke, It's the same one Mark uses when Jesus casts demons out. I rebuke you, demon, out of her. Peter and the disciples, like most of the Jews that day, were not expecting a Messiah to die. They're feeling shame, fear, anger, defeat discouragement, disappointment, and betrayal. They were expecting wealth and power and health and acceptance. But it seems like Jesus' mission is just the opposite. So after this rebuke, Jesus rebukes Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. And then he says, as Jesus often does, I mean, he says, we're going to nip this in the bud. Disciples, come here. Crowd, come here. We're going to talk about what it means to follow me. What, what are you expecting? You're expecting a Rambo Messiah. You're expecting health, wealth, and security. Well, I'm going to tell you what God in flesh requires of His followers. Jesus lets everyone know who have been following Him. Don't forget. The disciples have been following Jesus. The crowds have been following Jesus. But that's not enough. Jesus says, this is what it means to faithfully follow Me. Faithfully following, number one, faithfully following, is discovering that living isn't about having a pulse. It's about having Jesus. Faithfully following Jesus means We have discovered that living is not about having a pulse. It's about having Jesus. To those disciples and to the crowd that are expecting safety and comfort, they're expecting Jesus is going to make the other guys die, not them. Jesus comes. A crowd, come on. Disciples, come on. Let's get one thing straight. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross. And follow me. What? Can you imagine what happens to the crowd? We can imagine what's going on in the heart of the disciples. I mean, that's getting pretty shaky. I'm I'm going home. You gotta imagine some of them are thinking that. And the crowd is gonna go home. Following 
Faithfully following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. Part of me wishes I could say that it is. Part of me wishes I could say, come to Jesus, your life will be comfortable. Come to Jesus, you'll figure everything out and you'll never have a bad day the rest of your life. I wish I could say that. That would be an easier thing to say. That would be an easier sell. But we're not making followers. We want to make faithful followers. I don't want my girls and my son to follow Jesus expecting comfort. I want them to faithfully follow Jesus. And so the question is, why in the world would we follow a man who calls us to be crucified? Well, we have discovered that living is about Jesus. If I don't have Jesus, I'm not truly living. Have you figured that out? Christians, have you figured that out? To live without Jesus is not truly living. Scripture says that everywhere. 1 John 5, whoever has the Son has life. To have Jesus is to be living. Life is not about having a pulse. It's about having Jesus. That means the saints that have gone before us and have died are living now truly where most of the world now is still not living. They're more alive than most of the world. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Not only do we have life in Jesus, we have abundant life in Jesus. That means anybody that you see who is wealthy, powerful, comfortable, and yet they don't have Jesus, they do not have abundant life. And on the flip side of this, if you're living in a box under the freeway bridge, poor as dirt, don't know where your next meal is coming from, and yet you have Jesus, you have abundant life. There's no such thing as an abundant life without Jesus Christ. Patrick Mahomes, quarterback for the Kansas City Chiefs, signed a $500 million contract. That feels like an abundant life. You can buy, seems like you should be able to buy an abundant life with $500 million, doesn't it? If Patrick Mahomes has $500 million and does not have Jesus, he does not have an abundant life. Jesus declares, John 6, I am the bread of life. What does that mean? Well, bread, especially at this time, was like the, the central thing for our meals. If you have bread, you have a meal. Other things are just added on top of it. That's what you need. That's what you need to satisfy your hunger. Bread is like the essential element. He says, I am the bread of life, meaning I am the essential element for you to have a satisfied life. Your life will not be satisfied. I don't care how many degrees you have. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how how great your marriage is. I don't care how many kids you have. All of those things will not satisfy you if you don't have Jesus. That's what God's Word says. Jesus says, whoever follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 8. Not only will we have an abundant life, a satisfied life, but having Jesus shines a light into our world 
It makes things make sense. We can make sense out of the world. C.S. Lewis says it this way, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. He could have said it like this. I follow Jesus faithfully like I see the sun has risen. Not only because I see Jesus clearly, but by Jesus I see everything else. And of course, when we talk about life, we can't leave this part out. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. Faithful following is discovering that living isn't about having a pulse. It's about having Jesus. And Jesus is abundant life. He is life. He is truth. He is eternal life. So this idea that faithfully following Him means laying down your life, that makes more sense when we realize that true life is Jesus. Since Jesus is all, are all these, is all these things, since Jesus is true, abundant, satisfying, enlightened, and eternal life, since that is true, to lay our life down faithfully following Him is not to truly die. It's to finally truly live. That's a central claim of Christianity. To lay your life down following Jesus is not to truly die. It's to finally truly live. Are you with me? So what may this mean? Well, before we jump into our American understanding of this, because we're so safe and comfortable in America, we need to understand that when Jesus says, come, take up your own cross and follow me, He may mean a literal cross. Following Jesus may mean physical death. In fact, the, I love Peter so much because when you, when you get, when you understand Peter, you can, not only can you see yourself in his story, but Peter's story is just, just a life filled with, with rejecting Jesus, rebuking Jesus, following, but not faithfully following Jesus. And then we see a total transformation in his life that can only come from knowing who Jesus is. Because Peter goes, I rebuke you, Jesus, for saying that God will use suffering and death for His glory and for the good of His people. I rebuke you for that. And surely when Jesus said, you must take up your own cross and follow Me, Peter's thinking in his heart, I want to rebuke that guy again. But what we know about Peter's life is he will take up a cross for the good of the Gospel. Peter's last few moments on earth went this way. Peter was under persecution in a in a city for preaching the Gospel. It's his church tradition. Preach, preaching the Gospel. And he, as he flees outside the city, as he walks out the city gates, leaving his cross behind, he sees a vision of Jesus coming into the city gates. And he says, Lord, where are you going? Jesus says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be crucified again. Your cross is empty. I'm going to go be crucified again. You gotta imagine in that moment, Peter has a flood of these memories of how Jesus says to faithfully follow me means 
You take up your own cross. Peter turns on his heel, gives himself up, and is crucified upside down because he, he doesn't believe he deserves to be crucified like our Lord. What can cause that kind of courage? What can cause our missionaries around the world to risk their lives? Every year, the Southern Baptist Convention sends more missionaries out all over the world. Thank you for your tithes. You helped do that. They send them out. And when they announce who these people are, sometimes if they're going to, if they're going to Canada, you could see their face. You could see all their information. You could see their last names. But many of the people we send overseas as they're being announced, they black their face out and they only tell them first names because they're going to places where they might take up their own cross. What will cause this kind of courage. The only thing that causes this kind of courage is realizing that true life is about laying down your life and following Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have true life. So you can lay this one down. Faithfully following Jesus, yes, might mean physically dying, literally taking up your cross. Uh, if that is true, since that is true, that Jesus might ask us to take up our own cross, it is certainly true that G follow, faithfully following Jesus means we lay down our desires, we lay down our sins, we lay down our preferences, we lay down our bank accounts for the good of Jesus and the good of the Gospel. In other words, Jesus may lead us to a literal crucifixion, but He will always lead us to crucify the part of us that wants total control over our lives. It says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. To deny yourself, kingship over your own life may look like a million different things, and here's a few. To lay down your own life for the good of the Gospel will look like this. Forgive as you have been forgiven by God. When you're wronged, don't, then a part of you go, I deserve to be bitter and angry. Don't you feel that way? Am I the only one? But faithfully following Jesus says, no, no. Your life has been laid down. You crucify that part of yourself. You forgive. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do we need that in this political climate or what? Bless those who curse you? Turn the other cheek. Give sacrificially. Extend grace and charity to others. How about this one? Keep no records of wrongs. Anybody else have a problem with that? that when, when, when somebody does something against you, you keep that in the back of your mind up here. And you might not call it right now, but you're thinking. You think through it. This is what they've done to me. Keep no record of wrongs. How about this one? Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. How about this one, church? Go into the world and make faithful followers of Jesus. What might this church need to lay down in order to make more faithful followers of Jesus? And he ends that little passage by saying, whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the Gospels will save it. What's he saying? Whoever sees the price of a life with Jesus as too steep a price to pay will someday lose their life in hell. If you think following Jesus is too, too steep a price to pay, you will lose your life for eternity in hell. 
But, but whomever sees the value of a life with Christ and loses it on the cross or loses it on a figurative cross for Christ will find they have saved their life. And I love that because whomever, anyone who finds the value of a life with Christ more valuable than their own life and lays their own life down will save their life for eternity. Anyone. Doesn't matter what sins you've got in your life. Doesn't matter what baggage you bring to the table. Doesn't matter your bank account. Doesn't matter any of that. Whomever says it is worth it following Jesus will be saved. Isn't that good news? That's great news. That's great news. And so, church, if you feel crucified once in a while for following Jesus, That is a good thing that's supposed to happen. And on the flip side, and this is hard as Americans, on the flip side, if we don't ever feel crucified for faithfully following Jesus, we may not be faithfully following Him. Number two, faithful following is discovering prosperity isn't about having wealth and power. It's about having Jesus. Prosperity is not about having wealth and power. It's about having Jesus. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Peter and the disciples and the crowds were about political power. We've seen crowds try to violently take Jesus and make him king by force. We've seen that in the book of Mark. We, we see in the gospels that the disciples are arguing back and forth who's going to be the vice president, who's going to be the general, who's going to be the lieutenant. They are looking for political power. They're looking for a wealthy nation. They're looking for Jesus to kick those Romans out so we no longer have to pay taxes to them. But Jesus says, political power and monetary wealth are foolish things to pursue with all your heart. Money and political power are foolish things to faithfully follow. Why? First, they are temporary. Everything you own and I own is destined for the dump. Are you with me? And they don't make things like they used to anymore, so that's going to happen more and more often. right? That new iPhone in your pocket is going to be an old iPhone at the end of this sentence. Everything we own is destined for the dump. Why try to pile up wealth and make that the center of our heart. Why, did, why, why reject following faithfully following Jesus to pursue and faithfully follow money? Why do that when we know it's all going to be for naught? Jesus says it this way, Do not lay for you, up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do we do that? Faithfully following Jesus. Money and things are temporary. Kings, queens, presidents, and political power are temporary. Why risk your faithful following 
for temporary political power. There's always another election, isn't there? Seems like every election I voted on, I voted in is always the most important election in our lifetime. Every single one of them says that. Most important. There'll be another most important election in four years, won't there? This is the way it works. The next election is always down the road. Why faithfully follow political power? It's an interesting part of my sermon considering the last two days, three days, for President Trump, isn't it? President Trump is in the hospital. Scripture says do not put your trust in political power and politicians and kings because they are temporary. What an interesting thing to happen while I'm preaching this part of my sermon. While I'm working on this part of my sermon to see the President of the United States go into the hospital. And we must, Christian, you are commanded to pray for President Trump. Did you know that? We need to be praying for his health. Christian, you are commanded to pray for President Obama. I hope you did that. I hope you pray for President Trump. A speedy recovery. But what this emphasizes is spiritual truth that says this, Psalm 146, Put not your trust in princes, in mortal men, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Politics is like the wind comes and it goes. Why trade your soul for political power or stuff that's going to the dump? The perfect example of political power and wealth not satisfying, not bringing a good life, not being worthy of our faithful following. A great example of this is King Solomon. My favorite example. King Solomon. Wealth unequaled. Political power, he was unstoppable. Food and drink unceasing. He get as much of it as he wanted. Beautiful homes unparalleled. Knowledge unmatched. Sex unhindered. His conclusion about all these things that we might look at from an outside and say, that's an abundant life. His conclusion after having everything a person could ever dream of is this. I have seen everything that is done under the sun. And behold, it is all vanity, smoke, a mist, not worth faithful following. So, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus, I don't know if I want to take up my own cross. I don't know if I want to faithful follow you. I might be poor. I might be powerless. Why would you forfeit your soul for worldly things? This is exactly what this means. If you stack the whole world's wealth on one side. So here it is over here. We got Apple. We got Google. We got Fort Knox. We've got all the art in the Louvre. We've got the $500 million contract from Patrick Mahomes. You've got not just a fleet, not just a single plane, but you have every single private jet on the planet. You have personal chefs. You have palaces in every city. You have Trump Tower. If you stacked all of that on this side and you put Jesus on this side, it doesn't even compare. Jesus is worth more than all the wealth of the world. Knowing Him and faithfully following Him is worth more than anything in this life. And it's worth more than everything in this life. 
worth more than everything. If you stacked the entire universe on this side, and if I told you you sign on the dotted line for Jesus or for the universe, I said, here's the universe. Look how beautiful it is. Look how wealthy it is. It could all be yours for $10 million to reject Jesus. For 10, for 10 million years, you could have all of that. 10 million years. It's yours. Just reject Jesus. You would be a fool to sign on the dotted line. That's not a bargain. That's a scam. Jesus is more valuable than not just anything, but everything. Number three, faithfully following Jesus is discovering the acceptance of men cannot compare to the acceptance of Jesus. I rebuke you, Jesus. We've been following you for years. What's my family going to think? They said I was crazy for following you anyway. What are they going to think? What are the religious leaders going to think? Just some bunch of country bumpkin fishermen. They got wrangled in with this scam artist. What are they going to think? What will the crowd think? I mean, you got to imagine... The disciples are standing there. The crowd is there. Jesus is there. Everybody knows who the disciples are. And the crowd hears this word, these words from Jesus and they're thinking, this dude is nuts. And all you disciples, you're stupid for following him. Will they call me a sucker? Will they call me an idiot? Will they call me a heretic? Will they call me a traitor? Jesus says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. To refuse to faithfully follow Jesus because you're ashamed means that Jesus is ashamed of you. That's scary words. That's scary words. And so Jesus' comment would we think would be the question asking yourself, what will other people think? That is a dangerous question. Jesus would say, it matters not what mortal men think about you. Why do you care? They're here for a moment and then they are gone. Joey and Hannah Himes have a cemetery near their home and we were able to walk through that the other day. And it's a, it's a cemetery where it's got some tombstones falling over and some of them are so old that they're wiped away and you can barely read. Some of you can't read at all. Some of these gravestones were from 1800s. I mean, old, old stuff. It always strikes me to find things like that to realize the person buried under this tombstone is totally unknown to every person on this planet. The things that they've done, the things that they didn't do, their sins, their righteous acts, what they believed, everything is forgotten on this earth. And what strikes me about that is 
the same will be true for me in a hundred years. So why would I care what other people think about me following Jesus? Why should Peter care what the elders will think about him for faithfully following Jesus? They're going to be gone in a hundred years anyway. Why should we care? There's only one man who holds your reputation in his hands. I love this truth. I have to hang on to this truth. I'm a people pleaser. Any other people pleasers out there? I'm a people pleaser. So this truth is so powerful for me. I've got to remind myself. I've got to preach it to myself often. There's only one man who holds my reputation in his hands. And that's Jesus. And I've got to hang on to this truth. There's only one man's opinion that truly matters. And that's Jesus. That's all that matters. There's only one man's approval you need, and that is Jesus. There's only one man you need to be worried about being ashamed of you, and that's Jesus. Being ashamed. I think about our brother from Cambodia. I met him on a mission trip. He was a believing Christian. That man spoke more Scripture. He was 20 years old. He spoke more Scripture than any person I've ever met in my life. He was so in love with Jesus. And you know you know what faithful following for him meant? He lost his family. They were ashamed of him. They kicked him out. They never spoke to him again. But you know what? He did not care about the opinions of man. He didn't care about others being ashamed of his faithful following. He knew the value of Jesus. And he cares about Jesus' opinion. Here's the truth of the matter. They may mock you. They may spit on you. They may call you stupid. But everyone will know the score at the end of the game. Do not be ashamed of me now. I am coming back in the glory of my Father with the holy angels. And you better believe at that moment, those who mocked you will realize what they've missed. Those who call you stupid will realize what true wisdom always was. Everyone will know the score. You will be vindicated for your faithful following. Stay the course. Faithfully follow Jesus. It's a scary passage because we see Peter take center stage here. And it's got to be brutal for Mark to be writing this. We believe that Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark at the feet of Peter. And so Peter is recalling these kinds of conversations. He's recalling how he rebuked Jesus. At this point in his life, Peter is not a faithful follower. He is ashamed that Jesus will be rejected by the religious big shots. He is ashamed that Jesus won't be bringing the political wealth and power he was hoping for. He is ashamed and frightened that following Jesus might mean following Him to the cross. He was ashamed that Jesus' mission is to be rejected, suffer, and die and be raised again. And he was so ashamed that he rebuked Jesus for that message. Mark Chapter 8, Peter is not a faithful follower. But we see another Peter. We see a Acts chapter 5 Peter. 
In Acts chapter 5, Peter does this. And when they brought, and when they had brought them, Peter and some of the disciples, they set them before the council. The same men who killed Jesus set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in Jesus' name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring Jesus' blood on us. But Peter, ashamed of Jesus, rebuking Jesus, fearful of carrying his own cross, worrying what the religious leaders would say, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. It came true for Peter. You will suffer. Then they left the presence of the council. Mark, Mark 8, Peter would be saying, I'm out of here. Suffering for this? I'm out. That's not what I signed up for. Mark 8 would be saying that. But Mark 5, Peter rejoice Acts 5 Peter rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name who is this man who is this man that rejoices in his dishonor who is this man who rejoices in suffering who is this man who will gladly take up a cross and die for Jesus who is this man what can make this change only one thing all true It's all true. The things Jesus, Jesus was rebuked for, suffering, dying, and rising again, those things that Peter said that will never happen to the Messiah, they came to pass. And Peter became a faithful follower of Jesus who no longer pursues wealth and safety and political power, but pursues Jesus who no longer thinks that all life is about is a pulse. He realizes that life is about Jesus. Who is no longer ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but boldly proclaims it and rejoices in the dishonor that comes from man. What can change that man? It's all true. It's all true. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to ask you this question. Are you an, a Mark 8 Peter or are you an Acts 5 Peter? Are you a follower of Jesus or are you a faithful follower of Jesus? I preach this sermon often. Try to get this theme often. And when I was a pastor in Arkansas, I'd preach it year after year after year. And finally, one of the last weeks down there, a 60-year-old woman who had been in church her entire life came to me and said, I finally get it. 
I've been following Jesus. I've been around him. I've been around his word, but I never was faithfully following him. I never knew him. And she came and she was saved after hearing this sermon year after year, after being in church year after year after year. She knew that she was a Mark 8 Peter, and now she's an Acts 5 Peter. Is the same true for you? Just don't play games with God. Who are you? Are you ashamed? Have you laid down your life? If not, this church calls you best decision you will ever make. 